We continue today our study in the book of Exodus. Last week we looked at an overview of this book and I was very encouraged to hear from one member that took on the challenge of reading through this book in one sitting. I trust that God would use this sermon series to help us gain a, great, a greater appreciation for who God is and I encourage you uh, to read through this book. Uh, at some point throughout this sermon series and encourage you if your time allows to do it in one sitting now why did exodus happen we could say it was in order to liberate the people of israel and get them out of slavery now we know it was not only so they could be free as we saw last week but rather they were freed from slavery in order they, that they would worship God, in order that they would serve God, in order that God would be in their midst, dwell with them. So this sermon series has an overall title, and we have looked at this last week, uh, Exodus from Slavery to Service. But why did Exodus happen the way it did? Why was the rescue procedure so elaborate? Well, today we'll be looking more closely at the first half, first quarter, first 15 chapters of the book of Exodus, and we'll be looking more specifically at the 10 plagues and the act of getting out. And we will see how they give us a picture not of Israel, nor of Egypt, but they give us a picture of the God who saves. The God who redeems. And that's the theme of today's sermon. The God who saves. I encourage you to open scripture uh, to the book of Exodus, chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 28 until chapter 7, verse 7. If you are reading this morning from the Pew Bible, from the Red Bible, you find the passage on page 54. And if you are using a Pew Bible that has a brown color, it's found on page 44. Exodus chapter 6, verse 28. The word of the Lord speaks to us in the following way. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring my own divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Herod 
did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Amen. What an assignment to receive at the age of 80. Let's come before the Lord in prayer for this passage. Father, we recognize our dependence upon your spirit to illumine our hearts, to see the great significance of the Exodus for our lives as Christians today. Give us more of your spirit, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Last week, we looked at the question, why did God rescue Israel? Today, I'd like for us to look at a slightly different question, similar but different. Why did God rescue Israel in the way he did? Why did God rescue Israel in the way he did? It was a long process, carefully thought out. We see God's sovereign plan in saving Moses' life and in his birth, then calling him to return to Egypt, and then the ten plagues, which uh, each of them build up in intensity until the tenth plague. And then all of that, when all of that is finished, there's one more thing. The climax of the rescue operation, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the destruction of the Egyptians. This rescue operation was carefully planned out by God, and He arranged every detail of it. And the question comes in, why this intricate planning? It seems that from the beginning, God knew how he's going to work it out. And he told Moses a, a, a small picture at the beginning, at, at the moment of his calling. And as the picture progressed, Moses learned how this will play out. God had played it out very specifically. And nothing took God by surprise, even though Moses was surprised, even though the people of Israel were surprised. At first, they, they rejoiced over the news that God would come and redeem them. But then as soon as trouble hits them, as soon as Pharaoh asks for more labor of them, they do something like we all do. When suffering hits us, we seem to forget God's bigger picture. And that's Moses' story. He's calling, he, he, he's returned to Egypt telling the people that God is redeeming them. They're excited. They bow down and worship. And as soon as Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him the news, Pharaoh says, I'm going to give you more work to do. And in that moment, the people of Israel joined Pharaoh in being enemies of Moses. And Moses begins questioning his own calling again, just like in the beginning. God took about a chapter and a half trying to convince Moses that God is calling him. And then it took a few more chapters once Moses gets to Egypt for God to tell Moses that even though Pharaoh is against him, and even though the nation of Israel has joined Pharaoh against Moses, God is still calling Moses to redeem his people. And it's in this, in this passage that we read that God gives Moses sort of the final answer, locks it everything in, and after this point Moses will not question God. It is after this moment on that the plagues start unraveling. Why did God plan out the exodus? Why did God plan out the rescue plan in the way he did? A slow beginning, a very frail beginning, a very doubting beginning, 
Everyone in the story doubts that God wants to rescue his people. Pharaoh doubts it, Israel doubts it, and Moses doubts it. Why is it that God arranged it in this way? Well, I would like for us to see that God not only arranged the Exodus in the way he did with all the details, but there's another question that we might want to ask. Why is it that along the way, in every step of the way, with each plague, God hardened Pharaoh's heart? God is intimately involved in every detail of the story. And, and let me ask you this way. Why would we even consider worshiping a God who hardens people's hearts? Why would we wo consider worshiping a God who hardens people's hearts and then kills them? These are difficult questions. And if you're interested in finding an answer to these difficult questions, I encourage you to listen carefully to the book of Exodus. The context of the story is there's one fundamental question that, that sort of keeps the story together. It is a question that is posed at the beginning of, of Moses' visit to Pharaoh. It's perhaps the most important question in the entire book of Exodus. And perhaps I would actually say perhaps in the whole Bible. And the question is found in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. I encourage you to turn there. Just a leaf in your, bi in your Bible. And I encourage you to keep the Bibles open throughout the sermon because we'll be going through a lot of passages in the first 15 chapters of Exodus. But no, look, notice the question. It's a, this is the first appearance Moses has before Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? This is a very legitimate question. What kind of God do these slaves have that I should listen to what he asks me to do? What a great question. By the way, it's a great question for every human being to ask. My friends, perhaps you're here this morning because somebody invited you to church. Perhaps you're here because you came on your own initiative and you randomly found this church. Or perhaps you're a member of this church and or perhaps you're an attender of this church. All of, all of us, each one of us, need to be asking this question. Who is the Lord? that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and listen to him? Now, he's not asking us to do the same thing as he asked Pharaoh, but he is asking all people to turn to him and to follow him. So why should we do it? It's a very legitimate question. Who is the Lord that we should obey him? I'm sure you might know people who are struggling with this question. Perhaps you too. I pray that as we consider the story of Exodus, as we consider the story of redemption, that God would show to us 
who is the Lord that we should obey him? Now, unfortunately for Pharaoh, he answered this question, he answered his own question a little too quickly and superficially. Look at verse 3 in chapter 5. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, at very, very first, this appears as an innocent answer. How was this Pharaoh supposed to know the God of this people who were his slaves? However, it's interesting that 400 years prior to this event, it was the God of the Hebrews who revealed to Pharaoh at that, of the Pharaoh at that time the future plans of drought. Remember Genesis and the story of Joseph? And it was the God of the Hebrews who revealed to Joseph how Israel, how, how Egypt was to be saved from this drought. And the Pharaoh at that time made Joseph to be the number one in power over all Egypt in order to save Egypt from the drought. Interestingly, this Pharaoh in Moses' time apparently forgot. Who is this God that I should listen to him? Well, God was not persuaded by Pharaoh's ignorance. Just as he's not persuaded by ours either. And God decided he's going he's gonna to remind Pharaoh who this God is. And he did it by giving Pharaoh ten pictures. And then a final conclusion. Ten plagues. And then the crossing of the sea. A pretty hard lesson for apparently an innocent question. Why the plagues? Why did God act out the exodus by giving Pharaoh ten plagues? Well, the answer lies in the passage we read today in chapter 7. If you turn to scripture there, look at verse 2 through 5. Here's why the Lord allowed the plagues. God says to, Aaron, to, to Moses, you are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Now let me pause there. Let's clarify a very important issue in this passage in order to answer the question, why the plagues, we must also ask and answer the question, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? It seems cruel. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? This text is very clear that God hardened Pharaoh's heart throughout the plagues so that God could act out the plagues. God acted out the plagues throughout. God acted out the hardening of Pharaoh's heart throughout. God did both the, the acting of the plagues and the hardening of heart throughout. Now, move to chapter 13. When God instructs Moses about the Passover and how to celebrate the Passover, look at verse 14 of chapter 13. In the days to come, 
when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn of Egypt. Do you notice the difference? In chapter 7, God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In chapter 13, it says, and Pharaoh stubbornly refused. Now, which one is it? Some say, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart in the first five plagues, and then God hardened his heart in the last five plagues. But that's not what he, chapter 7 says. In chapter 7, it seems that God hardened Pharaoh's heart for the plagues, all of them. And in chapter 13, it seems that Pharaoh refused stubbornly to listen to God for all the plagues. So which one is it? It's both. It's both. God hardened Pharaoh's heart through all the plagues, and Pharaoh refused to listen to God through all the plagues. The only difference is, half of the time, the author chooses to look at the picture at the same event from God's perspective, and the other half, he chooses to look at the same event from the human perspective. God hardens throughout. God hardens all of it, and yet Pharaoh is responsible for all of it. Friends, if, if we cannot understand this, we're not going to be able to understand salvation. God works through all the entire process, and yet we are responsible for the entire process. Both pictures are presented to us in Scripture. So when we talk about why did God harden Pharaoh's heart, he hardened it so that he could do the plagues. Here's one misconception people have. We sometimes think that God allowed the ten plagues so that God could convince Pharaoh to let people go. But that's not true. God did not give Pharaoh the ten, the ten plagues in order to try to convince him to let people go. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could do the ten plagues. And then the question is, why? Why did God give Pharaoh a hardened heart so that he could do the ten plagues? And the answer is in verse 4 of our chapter. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. From this text, it appears that the ten plagues were not given so that Pharaoh would let Israel out. Quite the opposite. We're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not listen so the purpose of the plagues is not to try to convince Pharaoh to let Israel go. Instead, the purpose of these plagues was so that Egypt will know that the God of the Israelites, the God of the slaved people, is the God of the universe. He is the Lord. Well, let's look at a few more passages. If this is not clear enough, let's look at a few more passages that spell it out for us. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. 
Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning. Confront Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Again, why the plagues? So the Egyptians may know that there is no other God like the Lord in all the earth. That's why God, that's what God wanted the Egyptians to know. Let's move on to verse 15. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you with and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Pause there. God is saying here, I could have wiped you off with one plague. And then the question comes, why didn't you? Why did you do it in ten plagues? Let's continue reading. Verse 16. But I have raised you I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This is the reason for all the plagues. This is the reason why God chose to wipe out Egypt, not in one plague, but in ten, so that God might show his power and that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth, not just in Egypt, not just in Israel, but in all the earth. In other words, Brothers and sisters, friends, God sent the plagues so that today, here in Austin, Texas, we could talk about God's power, which he proclaimed, which he displayed in Egypt. And what we're doing here today, October 23rd, 2011, in Austin, Texas, is a fulfillment of God's intent with the plagues thousands of years ago. God intended his power to be displayed and proclaimed because of these plagues. Look at Exodus 14, verse 17 through 18. And there's a lot more verses. I'm just looking at some of the major ones. Exodus 14, 17, and 18. Here's why God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Do you hear that clear language? God's purpose behind the ten plagues and the behind the crossing of the Red Sea was to gain glory for himself and to make his name known. But it was not only the Egyptians that needed to know the Lord and to know who the Lord is. Go back to Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. I told you we'll be cruising to the book of Exodus today. Exodus 10, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly 
with the Egyptians and how I perform my signs among them. And that you may know that I am the Lord. Notice the difference? In this passage, it is the Israelites who needed to know who the Lord is. And then in, in Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses and Miriam after the crossing of the Red Sea is over, after the Egyptians have been destroyed by the waters of the Red Sea. Chapter 15, verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Israel got the point, and others outside Israel got the point too. Move to Exodus 18. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He visits Moses, and here's everything that God did with Israel. And here's what he said in chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. Praise be to the, to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had threatened Israel arrogantly. The point of the plagues, the point of rescuing Israel out of Egypt was not primarily for Israel's sake, but in order to show that God is greater than all the other gods. That's why the plagues. That's why God hardened Israel's heart. My friend, I wonder, what are the gods in our society that we are tempted to put above God? Is it the idols of money? Is it the idols of uh, youthiness? We always want to stay young. It is the idols of success or the idols of independence or the idols of sex and pleasure. The idols of our own self, our own command, our own egos. And the list could go on and on. But do you see God more important and bigger than these idols in our world? Or do these idols take most of your time and attention? We, just as the people of Israel, need to know that God is the Lord. Not just the Egyptians. We, the people of God, need to know that God is the Lord greater than all other gods. My friend, if there's one major lesson that God wanted the Egyptians and the Israelites to get, and us too, it is this lesson that God is determined to show us that He is greater than all other gods we would ever consider worshiping. Is this true of your life? Does your life reflect that? How did God display His glory? God is determined to, per, to, to display His glory and to show that He is greater than all other gods. But how? How did He do it for Israel? And there's two ways that, that the passage, the first 15 chapters of Exodus show that. First of all, he, God displayed His glory and He displayed that He's greater than all other gods by showing that He is the God of creation. By showing that He is the God of creation. 
Now, in each of the plagues, except the, ten, the tenth plague, the last one, God used nature to fight against the Egyptians, turning the water into blood, uh, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the sickness of the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, and of course, the darkness. All of these were natural calamities. And God used nature in order to show Pharaoh that God is, is the Lord of creation. He has power to command nature to act according to his purposes. But there's something more going on here. Pharaoh did not like the fact that Israel grew and multiplied. Remember how the book of Exodus begins in chapter 1? Pharaoh did not like the fact that the Israelites grew and multiplied. Now just think for a moment of that phrase, to grow and multiply. That was God's command in, in Genesis, in the creation account. And, and Pharaoh here, whether he knows or not, whether consciously or unconsciously, he is rebelling against God's creation decree to grow and multiply, and specifically for his people. And because Pharaoh rebelled against God's creation decree, what we see now is God acting back, responding back to Pharaoh by using creation to show him who God is. What we see in the ten plagues is an undoing of creation. You see, in the, the, in the, the creation order in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see God bringing order out of chaos. And in the ten plagues, God brings chaos into order. Not only that, but then he brings order back out of chaos to show that he is the God of creation. Instead of sorting out and placing every animal in its place, now the animal kingdom invades a human habitat. Similarly, instead of the weather being an agent of growth that promotes growth, the rain, now the weather is an agent of destruction. Look at verse, look at chapter 29, of chapter 9, verse 29. See how God uses nature to show Pharaoh who he is. Moses, in chapter 9, 29, Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Notice what Pharaoh should have learned through this plague, that the entire earth belongs to the Lord. And see what Moses says next in verse 30, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. Of course, the last plague, the plague of death on Pharaoh's firstborn, was the major, the last major blow against Pharaoh in the ten plagues. Now, this was not only a judgment on Pharaoh for killing all the male Israelites, but it was also another sign of undoing the creation. Remember Adam? Adam was the last project God created. It was also, he was the first human being that received life. It is interesting that in the ten plagues, the tenth plague, 
God takes the firstborn of Pharaoh and the firstborn of all of Egypt and brings death. God is undoing creation. But this time in the tenth plague, he's not reversing it. This time, there's no more chaos coming back to order. Death is final for the firstborns of Egypt. But then there's something else. It's not only the firstborn of Egypt that experienced death. We know the story that after Israel is driven out by Pharaoh, a few days later, God hardens Pharaoh's heart to pursue them at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea is, is the final, the final say that God has in the story. And it's very similar to the creation account. Remember Genesis? When the waters were covering the earth as a sign of chaos? What is the first thing God does to the waters? He separates them. And by separating the waters, God allows the earth to, to come forth and he will, that will be the arena where growth and creation will happen. It was in the separation of waters. How amazing that at the Red Sea, God is separating the waters once again. This is creation language. But in Exodus, God separates the waters in order to redeem and save his people. And this is, this is powerful. Through the, crossing, through the crossing of the Red Sea, through the parting of separating of waters, God is creating his people. Because the language of redemption and the language of creation mesh together. The people of Israel is, are now created by God and they're redeemed by God, so they are now his own special people, as we will see in Exodus 19. But amazingly, the waters of Exodus are not only the waters through which God creates again his people, but they are also the waters through which God destroys Egypt. Unlike in Genesis, in Exodus, God orders the waters to come back in order to drown Pharaoh's army and destroy them once and for all. So in the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, God gives us a picture of who He is. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of redemption. By being the God of creation, God redeemed His people. And by being the God of redemption, He created His people. Redemption and creation meet together. My friend, do you ever stop and ponder that none of the gods you might consider worshiping had any causal effect in bringing this world into being? Do you ever think about the fact that no matter what gods and idols you're, you're playing with, they had no power to bring you in creation? Why would you consider them? God's purpose of, of displaying to Pharaoh who he is is to show that he is the Lord of creation. He is the causal effect. And because of that, he also has the power to redeem. In these plagues, God gives us a great reminder of his worthiness of, and greatness. As one pastor said, through these signs, God gained the reputation he desired and deserved. 
But a second way God showed his glory and fame, was, the first way was by showing that God is the God of creation. The second way God showed his fame and glory through the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea is by making a distinction between his people and Egypt. By making a distinction between his people and Egypt. There's something quite interesting and strange about the ten plagues. After the third plague, God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. Again, we're reading through Scripture. Exodus 5, 22. But on that day, God says, I will act differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms or flies will be there. If you're taking notes, God says the same thing in chapter 9, verse 4, in chapter 9, verse 22, and in chapter 10, verse 22. Four times, God is explicitly saying that he is making a distinction between his people and Israel and, and Egypt. Why? Look at the second half of verse 22 in chapter 5. God is making this distinction so that you, Pharaoh, will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. So God showed his glory not only by, be, by, by doing the ten plagues, but by also distinguishing his people from the Egyptians in the ten plagues. Point is, God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt so the Egyptians will know that the Lord is God. Now, something very strange happens in the tenth plague. I encourage you to turn the scriptures to chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. I know by, by now some of you think this is a Sunday school lesson. This is not a sermon. Chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you even when I strike Egypt. Wow, this is interesting. Up until now, God knew how to distinguish between Israel and Egypt on his own. Now in the 10th plague, God asks Israel to put on a sign so that God will distinguish between Israel and Egypt. Why? Did God fail in his ability to distinguish in the 10th plague? Was God unaware of who the Israelites were? Why ask them to kill a lamb, take its blood, and sprinkle the blood on the doorposts of each Hebrew home. Notice what the text says. The blood will be a sign for you. Not for me, not for God. The blood will be a sign for the people of Israel. The sign of the blood was, was, was for Israel so they would know that in order to escape the plague of death, Blood had to be shed. In order to escape the plague of death, every Israelite family had to 
be under the protection of the blood of a lamb. Every one of them. And more so, God asked the Israelites that once they arrive to the promised land, they are to repeat the ceremony every year so that they would never forget that they were rescued from the plague of death because of the blood of a lamb. And by the way, that's the Passover. Now, how does this affect us Christians today, 21st century? First of all, when we get to the New Testament, the Passover lamb is no longer an animal, but Jesus. And the Gospel of John presents the death of Jesus as taking place during the Passover, and specifically at the time when the Passover lambs were slaughtered. In order to tell us that Jesus' death for us is the real sacrifice whose blood provides eternal redemption. And yes, those who are not protected by the blood of the Lamb will be destroyed. Now, there are many people today who don't like the notion that God makes a distinction between His people and the rest of the world. Now, let me make a pause here. I'm not talking about Israel as a nation and the other nations. I'm talking about the people He redeemed, which includes the remnant of Israel, and the Gentiles who join them, and by the way, that's the church. So God makes a distinction between the people he redeemed and the people he did not redeem. The Egyptians, those who are not part of God's people. God makes a distinction between them. Now we know that God loves all people. That's very true. But God is not, does not save everyone. It is also true that God will destroy many people. God will destroy everyone who will not be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Just like had there been a family, a, a Jewish family, and we don't know if, if, if there was one, history doesn't tell us, the scripture doesn't tell us, but had there been a family, a Jewish family, who had not put on the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts, they probably would have been experiencing the death of their firstborn. Why? Because what distinguishes them now from, from the Egyptians is whether or not they're protected by the blood of the Lamb. It's not their so-called membership in a church. It's not their, their, their heritage. It's not their religious background. It's whether or not they're protected by the blood of the Lamb. Still, some people ask, but why is God not saving everyone? Why does God have to make a distinction between His people between those who are protected by the blood of the Lamb and those who are not. If God loves all people, surely He will not let them die. That's the message of Satan. The Bible does tell us that many will refuse God and God will destroy them. So to say that because God loves everyone, therefore, God will not destroy us. Or God loves all people, therefore, He will save all people. That is a false gospel. And we need to be very clear about that, dear friends. I know this is a hard message. I know this is a hard message. But God displayed His glory in Exodus by making a distinction between His people and those who are not His people. Between those who are protected by the blood of the Lamb, and those who are not. You'll say, why? Why didn't God also save the Egyptians? 
Because this is the entire point of the Exodus, dear friends. God wants to declare to all the earth that he is greater than the gods of all the other nations. And he shows that by destroying the gods of the nations and by destroying the nations who are following their gods. So when the nations are following their gods and refusing to follow the Lord God, the Creator, the Redeemer, God will destroy them. Go back to the story of Exodus. This is hard language, I, I know. But go back to Exodus. If you are an Egyptian and heard this, like Pharaoh did, this is bad news. This is bad news. But if you're an Israelite, this is the best news you could ever, ever hear. It's not about God. It's about from which perspective are you looking at? If you're here today and you have a hard time seeing the glory of God in the destruction of the ungodly, it might be a sign that you are in the opposite camp. For Israel, the destruction of the Egyptians was the greatest news because it meant that God is more powerful than all the other gods. Again, I know I am unloading a heavy notion and a heavy correction of biblical understanding of God's love and God's wrath and God's redemption. God loves everyone, but he will not save everyone. Because all those who are not protected by the blood of the Lamb, just like Israel was not automatically protected, unless they put themselves under the blood of the Lamb, they would not experience God's salvation in a similar way. Even though God loves us, God will only save those who are under the blood of the Lamb. My dear friend, these things are written for us so that we today might proclaim God's power but I need to give you a warning. The passage we read earlier in the service from Revelation chapter 5, chapter 15 and then on to 16 tells us of a future time when God is coming again and will bring another set of plagues against not Egypt, but against the entire earth. And I find it interesting that most of the seven plagues in Revelation chapter 16 are echoes of the plagues God brought against Egypt. And I find it very interesting that in chapter 15, those who will be redeemed, the victorious ones, will sing a song. And in chapter 15, we're told it, they are singing the song of Moses, which is very similar to the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15. But in Revelation 15, it's not the song of Moses and Miriam, it's the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Why? Because for us Christians, it is the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, who saves us from the wrath of God. It is because of Him that we're able to grow through the waters of judgment and be created as a new people of God. So why should we call, why should we consider the call to worship this God who destroyed Egypt and who redeemed His people? The ten plagues against Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea are God's act of grace for his people. So they may know who God is and worship him. 
the ten plagues against Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea are, are God's acts of grace towards the earth so that the earth may know who God is and worship him. And the ten plagues of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea are God's acts of grace towards us so that we may know who the Lord is and worship him before it's too late. Pharaoh's question at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of the encounter with Moses, is very important for us today. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Do you know him? Do you worship him? Let's bow our heads in prayer.